0: hello and welcome back to the drop step podcast we're two weeks into the nba season just about it feels like there have been about 500 games to process and aren't we grateful for it nba hoops is back and i'm here with a true hoop head here but honestly one of the best people in the profession at what they do i'm here with eric pincus today a uh, staff writer for bleacher report and one of the faces of Sports Business Classroom, along with Bobby Marks, former Brooklyn Nets GM. I'm really excited to talk about the art of the fake trade, because it is an art. Right, Eric? Uh,
1: I mean, if you want to call it that, uh, it's a madness. So I guess, uh, yeah, sure, that's
0: fair. We'll call it an art. I I definitely want to call it an art. Uh, I think you were talking just before we went live about a mock trade deadline that you did at the University of Arizona, and some people get this really right. Some people get this really wrong. Where do you think the different polarizing evaluations come from? We're, we're all watching the same games, right? So how can mm-hmm. there be so much room for interpretation?
1: Well, um, when I teach at Sports Business Classroom, we usually have a wide swath of, of students coming in with different levels of experience. And I assign the teams just based on what majors they are to make sure that we have enough people who know scouting video and analytics, enough people who know the salary cap, enough people who are in like medium broadcast so that everyone's spread out so that everybody, but I don't know who the students are. before. I might know a few who I, you know, I had met beforehand or, but like if there's 120, maybe I know a, a dozen. So I'm assigning people sort of haphazardly. And then similarly in Vegas, uh, not in Vegas, in Arizona uh, for ASU, uh, other schools around the the country signed up and came out and sent people with different degrees of knowledge and experience. And so within the NBA sphere, the actual NBA, you have a new owner come in, uh, not picking on anyone in particular, but like Matt Ishbia, of the Suns coming in as a new owner has uh, probably uh, some ideas or preconceived notions of how the, the league works. And then mm-hmm. he applies what he thinks is going to work and he will either be correct or not. And I, you know, that will bear out, but he approached it a different way than somebody like maybe Mitch Kupchak, who's been in the league for decades and decades and has a more conservative approach. So everybody brings in their own background, their own knowledge set, their own approach. And so you're going to get and an experience. And so you're going to get a wide range of uh, understanding. And And what I like to say in these competitions, if you're negotiating with somebody, about something and they're very sharp and very good at what they're doing and fighting you very hard tooth and nail. Maybe you need to go see who else is in the competition who (laughs) doesn't understand and like you might get fixated on their target on that one player. Maybe you need to pivot and go after a different player. And if you can get a player who's a notch below but but get paid to take him and then have other resources to get someone else you know. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, one of our instructors, Seth Partnow, has a, a kind of words to live by, which is, "Don't say no for the other uh, party." And so, you if you assume they're not going to do the, something, then you're you're cutting yourself off at the knees. I mean, if you're the Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck of the of the Jazz, and you're assuming that the Wolves won't trade you that many <laughs> picks for Rudy Gobert, then you don't get a deal like that. So. I, I don't go in with an assumption uh, that um, I, I do, you, you do assumptions when it comes to projections and, and, and mapping out of strategy, uh, but you allow for the other parties to, you know, have different valuations. So it's, it's very subjective. There's no one way to do it. And if you could find a way to take advantage of that in these competitions, uh, you might end up on the, on the, uh, the award winning side.
0: Absolutely. On the subject of Matt Ishbia, at least he surrounded himself with some really talented former NBA GMs. I know that Isaiah Thomas is pulling out all the stops to advise him as best he can. And that went really well last time out when he was GM of the Knicks. So I'm sure that they're going to be in a great space for the next few years. But what I want to talk about today, like we said, art of the fake trade. Eric, I invited you on this podcast after giggling with glee, reading your sort of it's, it's almost Frankensteinian, the, the mm-hmm. six-team James Harden fake trade that you concocted for Bleacher Report. Now, I, I messaged you and I said that my philosophy when it comes to these things as someone that has sort of grown up with the trade machine is I view uh, fake trades a little bit like balancing equations in maths. Team A needs one thing. Team B needs another thing. Team C needs another thing. Let's join up all the dots, cross out all the X's until it makes a lot of sense. So maybe the best place to start would be with that six-team James Harden fake trade. It didn't quite come to fruition in the end, but I think Mm -hmm. the league could have been in a really fun place if it did. How do you go about that process?
1: Well, uh, so, like, I think the most that we've ever actually had in execution has been the five-team trade. So I was not writing this saying, like, this is what I expect to happen. But, uh, like, uh, I had, uh, if you go back to before the trade deadline this last year, uh, there were a number of point guards who were potentially on the move. So a lot of them who did get moved uh, from D'Angelo Russell to uh mike conley to yes. like you know there was just a, a, a long list of names that might move and some who did and so in the process of evaluating i sort of said hey, what if they all sort of traded with each other chris paul and like you know etc uh and mm-hmm. so i came up with whatever i came up with it was like a four-team trade i was just playing around with it and i sent to my editors, I'm like, hey, you know, I was just sort of messing around and I could see how, like, if we just sort of join these topics that we've sort of been discussing into one article, it might be fun to write. And it's not to say, like, this is how it will go. It's just like, here's a possible pathway where you could combine each team's problems and get a solution where the rules are sticky enough and complicated enough that maybe it's, in in a way, more likely To get it done when you have help from other teams. And and we're finding that to be more and more true over time. If you asked me 10 years ago, like people say, oh, like, let's do a three team trade. I'm like, ah, you know, like now we're getting into fanciful stuff. Uh, I mean, not not to say that there haven't been multi team trades, but if we just look at the numbers like they've increased over time and it's because of, you know, it's a copycat league or just the rules are such that uh, or with tax, luxury tax, hard caps. Uh, teams that are using strategic cap room or trade exceptions to be partners in trades. Uh, and just, you know, just out of necessity, it's become more common. So now, yeah, you know, I wrote this article. It did very well. It got a lot of traffic. It was a lot of fun to write. Uh it was well received. And while the exact iteration of it didn't happen, a lot of it did. You know, a lot of pieces of it did. Legs of it did and, and et cetera. And so uh then of course bleacher, you don't think got good numbers and asked me to do something similar around, uh, the draft and, and asked me to do something right before the start of the season. So that's what takes us to here where they're like, is there a multi-team trade that we, you know, that we can hit that would make sense right before the start of the season. And my, my logic here has to take on another element, which is yep. what teams would be willing to make a trade where they're not going to wait for the highest bidder they're not going to wait until the deadline because that's just the nature of it like it seems a far way off but like february is like what three-ish months away right like Mm -hmm. we have december 15th is when trade season kind of starts uh when most trade restricted players can be traded not all but most and then you know everyone expects in december 15th we're gonna have a 10 trades no it's it's just not how it works. And usually you have like the G League showcase. We do have the new tournament, in-season tournament. So that might be a place where everyone is when it comes to front offices. We'll, we'll see what the the tournament looks like. But certainly the, the G League showcase, which is going to be in Orlando this year, you get GMs and not just GMs, but assistant GMs and scouts and player personnel and all kinds of people in one place watching games that are G League games. So they're, um, you know, varying talent. And quality, and so there's a lot of hours of people just sitting around talking, and that's where a lot of trades sort of evolve, and then you come out of that. So it's a process. So who's willing to uh, to bypass that process? And one answer was very clearly the Sixers wanting to get out of James Harden, and that pressure to resolve that before the start of the season, which they did, and then James Harden's push to get him to the Clippers, and the Clippers' willingness to make a deal, which they did. Now. where they weren't willing to to, uh, execute was Terrence Mann. I included Terrence Mann. They were able to get it done without Terrence Mann. And that's the difference. Um, But once you start going down these lines, it's like, okay, well, you just do a two-team trade. What's the holdup between the two teams? And in the end, it ended up being, even though it was technically a three-team trade, it really was a four-team trade uh, because on the exact same day, they also, the Clippers sent Petrusev, Who they had just gotten to the Kings. So it was a 14 trade that was broken into two separate trades. So it didn't quite get to six. But um, OKC joined in and they joined in in a very funky way, which I thought was pretty clever. And uh, they just just got changed some pick situations. They just, you know, using all the picks they have to improve their pick situation. And for the Clippers, it gave them an extra piece that satisfied what the Sixers needed. So good for them. And, and, uh, but I, I included, you know, I did a, like, I thought, you know, buddy healed, maybe the, the, maybe the Pacers would want to get out of buddy healed early. And so I put, put it in and I started doing the math and I did all the computations. And I was like, I just don't see it based on who in Indiana doesn't even really need a player. Like Mm -hmm. they, they probably, any player they get, they probably, don't play because they have so many players that they like, and that's a you know credit to that front office in what they're building. So I I said you know it it, it you know I, I wrote it up I wrote up a mock I, I wrote up an article but I you know uh, left some of it unfinished and I said I'll sleep on it. Woke up the next day and I looked at the buddy aspect and I'm like I just can't buy that that Indiana would make that move. On day one without exploring the market. Maybe there's a playoff team that feels they're a shooter away that's willing to give up a first. So you're talking about like, you know, a top team maybe giving up a first in this next draft. So they know that they're giving up maybe the 18th to 20 or 30th. Pay. Let's say 20. Let's say they're a, a, a very good team and they're like 23 to 30. Like, so they yep. know that they're not giving up a lot. So you're giving up a first for Buddy Heald is different than giving up a first in like three or four or five years where you have no idea if you're going to be good. You might be giving up the number one pick, whereas now, you know, you're giving up value in, in in the 20s, which is like rotation player quality, borderline starter, if you're lucky, just historically. That's like where players land in that range statistically. So um, those are the kind of things I was working with. And then I said, I, I got to pull Buddy out. And then I brought in like, okay, well, let's you know, let's can we can we get Kyle Lowry for instance to Nick Nurse, and you know that would help him. Uh, where you you know Kyle Lowry's near the end of his career, but he is somebody who just went to the finals and won a title, and with with Nick Nurse and and like the Sixers. Closing out games has been the hardest part. Not just closing out games. Closing out playoff games has been the hardest part for them. And so I thought maybe if you can get Lowry and then the let's get the Heat Brogdon. And then, well, you have the issue of like Blazers and, and Heat sort of had a difficult experience with the Dame Lillard thing. Would they even communicate? Yep. So you have to factor in all of those kind of things. So I had fun with it. I eventually brought in the Knicks, brought in Jonathan Isaac from the Magic, Fournier. Uh, Marcus Morris, I needed a place for him. I, I I look at the Knicks, and they have like no backup power forward. They use Josh Hart, which is potentially viable and maybe something they stick with, but uh, it was basically swapping out Fournier as an expiring for, even though he has a team option, but functionally expiring for yep. Morris, who's expiring. So it didn't hurt their future plans. Uh, for the Magic, it didn't hurt their future fa- plans. They got a first for uh, basically for... Uh, jonathan isaac and they take on a couple of players you know like fournier and whatever it, it was more of like we're getting a first for isaac and whatever it, it it was a fun article to write it it was never realistic but it i sent it to somebody i sent it to a few people obviously but one of the people i sent it to with an nba team was like i can't argue against any of it for any one team. I look at any one team and I say that makes sense for them. And yeah. it took, like, I, I had written three or four drafts where I slept on it. So this was not something I just threw together in a night. This was something that I really thought long and hard on. I wrote it up. I live with it. I kind of talked to some folks and said, what do you think about that? What do you th-? And when I say talk to folks, folks in the NBA industry who have opinions that at least you can say um, are either grounded or sourced or uh, sensible. So I'm fortunate enough to have um, some access to be able to do that put it all together it was a lot of fun it got good numbers but I I don't write for the numbers I write because I find something intellectually interesting but then Bleacher also you know it's very generous to you know employ me and I want to make sure that yeah. I deliver to them what they need so it's sort of um, if, if we can find something that I like to do and uh, brings in clicks and views then I think we're taking care of everybody
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that from a amateur fake trader, uh, the aim is always to have someone from both sides saying that this is unfair. If you ever publish a trade and straight away, it's only one team saying, absolutely, we won't do this. And another team saying, I'll bite your hand off. Let's do it. Then you've probably messed up somewhere down the line. Um, I wonder at those G League showcases, does anyone sit next to Danny Ainge? Does anyone sit next to Daryl Morey or are they just left alone sort of because, like you said, for the uh, mock fake trade that you did at uh, Arizona State University, there are some people that you just want to stay away from. And I feel like there are a few Mm -hmm. too many GMs that have been burned by those guys before.
1: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like uh, there's. There are teams that have done well again, you know, in trades with them, and teams that have not. I think you know mm-hmm. when you're dealing with Daryl Morey by reputation that you're probably in for uh, a little bit more complexity, a little bit more uh, wild sort of uh, play. Uh, Danny Ainge has a reputation as such as as you know Trader Dan, that's been his nickname, uh, and certainly his you know influence uh, in getting the haul that Utah got has been noted. I mean. I don't know that teams aren't going to trade with them. I mean, it, it's more just like it, it's it's too small of a league for you to cross off and say, I'm not going to deal with this person. And there are personality conflicts. There are rivalries. There are, you know, like the Nets and the Knicks would probably rather not trade. The Lakers and Clippers would probably not trade. But like the Lakers and Tri- Clippers did the Zubats trade. It was like, a you know, they've, they've done deals. Uh, I, the late, I think they were just in a multi-team trade where the Lakers got a couple of seconds from, the Clippers in, as part of a, a deal. So they have a couple of Clipper seconds. So uh, I'd have to look at that trade, make sure it didn't come from another party, but they do have a couple of Clipper seconds. And like the Lakers and Celtics have dealt uh, you know, more than once, Chris Mim and Rick Fox, and, uh, you know, I can go down the list. There, there are, you know, history of that sort of sure. thing. Uh, but uh, no, at the showcase, uh, like you normally have tables that, uh, well, I mean, during game times, like, there's certain spots where like if it's your game that you say that, but generally they have like a little name tag, you know, like a placard or like a nothing yep. fancy that says the team name. And it's usually like two or three people with the team sitting and talking. And then maybe someone with another team, maybe someone like myself who's independent might come and say, Hey, let's, you know, what's going on. And we sit and talk and you just sort of catch up because uh, part of the job uh, is you know, meeting people, but then it becomes just like, I'm also a human being and you get to know somebody and if you know somebody for maybe 5, 10, 15 or even 20 years, if you're fortunate, I've been around a bit, that you start to become friends with people beyond just like, you, you know, work friends. And like, you know, yep. you, you're catching up and you're seeing someone you haven't seen in a few months and you're like catching up about life and then you're talking hoops and some, some people you won't even talk about their team with them. I mean, usually I don't talk about that, that person's team to that person. Usually I'm talking about what they're hearing about other teams. Or what do they think about this issue? Or, you know, what, what, what do you think about the next CBA? You know, what's going to happen in the new deal? Are we going to have a lockout? Or, you know, is heard a lot about how the owners were really pushing for a hard cap and that, that was the real thrust and that, and I'm like, well, then there's going to be a lockout. And so if there's not a lockout, then we get some sort of compromise because there's not going to be a hard cap. And what we have is a compromise where it's kind of a hard cap but it's also not a hard cap and i think that's just like in a trade everybody's getting um in theory what they think they want but accepting that they're not getting everything they want but to go back to the hardened 16 deal it couldn't be the kind of trade where everyone left feeling like oh i shouldn't i didn't get enough because then they would just wait until the trade deadline so that one was a little different uh whereas i'll write on for if i'm writing a something for february whatever, eighth or or whatever the trade deadline, I think it's the eighth this year, Uh, you're taking a different approach. It's more like, well, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think you're going to get everything you're asking for. This is what I think is what you're going to have to settle for. And that's very different. So now you're deciding, do you not trade and hold the player or do you get what you get? And so this is what I think the market bears. And you try to make it work. And I just wrote one on the, there's one that went live uh, today. We're recording this on Thursday. I just wrote uh, on the Lakers, which had, uh, should they basically, should they panic and chase a star? Not that they they can't really do anything until mid-December anyway. Uh, But I did come up with some, some conceptual ideas of what they could do. And they weren't necessarily the conceptual ideas I would recommend or that I would do. Right. At all, I don't think they should be char- star chasing, but that was uh, the the prompt that my editor gave me, uh, and so I could see them star chasing because that's what they've done in the past. And so I, yep. you know, so I I wrote up like chasing like uh, Demar Derozan, Zach Levine, um, Trey Young, and I'm forgetting someone else. Uh, there was a another bigger name that I I would, yeah, Kyrie. Thank I you, and that was the, that was the lead, right? And so like I came up with. What I view to be reasonable packages, they, they're they predicated on like, well, if Dallas is good and they're starting pretty well, there's no reason to assume they'll trade Kyrie. But also in two months, a lot can happen. And let's say the team is struggling and or Kyrie decides to do something volatile, which historically is not unlikely. It could happen. Or... Uh, y- Trey Young at this point, the Hawks, you know, they're, I think, hovering slightly above 500, give or take. I, I'd have to check the standings today. But um, yeah. are they looking to trade Trey today? No. And but in a month or two, are they successful? Are they struggling? How are the personalities? You know, How does the coach feel about uh, the chemistry of the team? They just extended DeJounte Murray. So it seems like he's there for a while and he plays the same position so they could either continue on as they are, which may be exactly what they do probably is the most likely thing, Uh, or they may go in a different direction. And then also Trey is with clutch sports, who is uh, rich Paul, who represents LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And there's a history of the Lakers bringing in clutch clients. So if Trey were moved and if he decided to go the James Harden route of sort of trying to manipulate where he goes, I could see him ending up with LA. And then just like, well, how do the numbers work? And then, how do you get enough value? And then, uh, what if Trey's really fighting to reduce his, you know, his values? He, he does have a large contract. He does weigh about 165, very light, uh, so he's not a defensive player. Doesn't play well yep. off the ball. What he not shooting terribly from three. What he does well is pretty magical at times. But he's a very polarizing player. So not everyone loves Trey Young. So is there a market for him? And and how do you? look at the Lakers and what they have to offer, and then also factor in there that they have a hard cap and there's all these restrictions into what they can do all together. So that's what I try, to, I try to mix it all in a blender and come up with something that makes sense.
0: Yes, I'm glad that you got onto the Lakers because I was reading that article this morning. And I'm sort of I'm sort of on board with what you've said, where I I can see the Lakers doing this, but whether it makes the most sense, I'm not quite sure. I just think around an ageing core in LA, it it would be certainly an overreaction to pull the trigger on anything pre-trade deadline. I think if it's anyone, I, I personally see it being Zach Levine as another fellow clutch client, a guy that has a few years left on his contracts that can sort of bridge the path. We've spoken about two timelines so much recently with the Warriors. But if you're looking at a post-LeBron James landscape, even if you're dry on pit capital, if you can lead with Anthony Davis, Zach Levine and Austin Reeves as your three with the pulling power of being in LA, I think that's certainly somewhere. Whereas the, the DeMar situation, I, I don't quite get it just because I can't think of... I I can't think of why you'd compromise LeBron and AD spacing. I know that DeMar is a fantastic sort of isolation mid-range scorer, but if he's not getting guarded too intensely from three in playoff situations, that can really sort of muddy the waters. And then, yeah, like you said, it all comes down to context at the end of the day. We'll see where the Dallas Mavericks go. Uh, it, It can literally all turn on the flip of a coin, especially when Kyrie Irving is involved. So you can certainly never never rule anything out what what route do you think they should be going Jeff?
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, realistically, like they need health and they need to probably consolidate their pieces a little bit. I think Darvin Ham, the coach, is, um, well, first of all, they're struggling because they just don't have the bodies. Like they have a lot of depth, but they haven't had them available. So Vanderbilt, yep. Jared Vanderbilt, is arguably their best perimeter defender. hasn't even played. Uh, Jackson Hayes has an ankle. Uh, AD is dealing with uh, a groin issue. Um, Gabe Vincent, I think it's knee. And then like, it's just like, that's, it's just guys coming in. Uh, Rui Hachimura had a concussion and was out for I think four or five games. So it's just like, you don't know what you have yet. And I think Darwin, when he did have what he had had a little bit more available, I don't think he knew how to put them together yet. And that's not a criticism. It's just that you have a lot of pieces and you need reps uh, similar to the concept of don't say no for the other guy is the the premise of uh, don't just assume something works or something doesn't work. You have the pieces. Let them play together. See what the chemistry is. Don't decide what the chemistry is. Don't decide who should play together. Let them play together. See what it looks like watch t- tape, look at the numbers, look at the analytics, and try to get a sense of, like, okay, it's small sample. This worked in a small sample. Let's try it again. Okay, S- another small sample. It worked. Let's try it again. And it's like, okay, I'm yep. starting to see a pattern here. They did something crazy where they had, like, uh, Austin Reeves, Max Christie, uh, Anthony Davis, Christian Wood, and Jackson Hayes in a lineup, which is three bigs. Technically no true point guard, although you can argue that Austin is, you know, can arguably be considered that. Uh, And it did extremely well in that very small sample. Now, was that just contextual? Was it just that one matchup? Was it if they did that exact same thing against that exact same matchup? But now that team has the benefit of film. Do they now play it very differently? So I don't like to overreact to something like that. But um, I think Darvin has too many pieces. Uh, I don't think he knows how to play with them. Uh, again, not a criticism. And I don't think he's had the time to figure it out. And I think injuries, which have been pretty widespread just across the board, have made it very difficult to figure out what is right. He's giving Cam Reddish a real look. He's giving Christian Wood a real look. And I think Wood has uh, at least shown like he could be a, a, a part of why this team is good this year. But I think the look at Wood has come to an extent at the price of of Rui's role, Rui Hachimura's role. So like you just invested into Hachimura and you've got wood at one, you know, minimum, basically, like if he kills it and he's great, maybe he's you can't even afford him. Just like they couldn't afford to keep Monk and some of the other players that they had, um, even Dennis Schroeder, they couldn't afford to keep uh like who where should you be putting your time? So in theory, you could argue that Taking away some of those choices, if you're the front office from Darwin, might make it simpler. If you look at say, okay, he's not playing Rui the same level that we wanted him to. And because of the salaries with D'Angelo and Rui, now we can get to almost any player, give or take. Uh and so maybe that's what we need to do to thin out the rotation a little bit, consolidate it, make it simpler for Darwin to you know get make it clear more clear what he has uh as right. far as um pieces but like you can argue a lot of different things like i can argue Demar based on contract and in that Demar they also got caruso so it was like Demar and caruso so and it's short term because they're both ex- well i think Caruso, I think, has another year, but I think it's non guaranteed. But in theory, somehow it's
0: probably guaranteed. I think he's like got assuming $3 million you, keep,
1: yeah, like year. assuming you're keeping Caruso the other year, and you're probably paying to keep Demar. But at least you can do the homework, and like Demar is not going to get another team's cap room because of his age. There's very few teams right. that have cap room, and you're probably you're probably not competing with a massive deal. Uh, he could get like a theoretical Bruce Brown type situation where he got a lot of money short term. But, like, in theory, the Lakers should be able to set the market, probably pay him a good price that is reasonable for them, that keeps them in in a financially stable thing. Now, they also tried to get him, before they got um, Russell Westbrook, they were going after DeMar and Buddy Heald, and they were trying to explore all those options. And they were very seriously considering bringing in DeMar, so much so that DeMar thought he was going to the Lakers. And it didn't happen, but... Again, I agree with you on spacing, but I don't know if they agree with you on spacing. And so I think it matters. Like, that's the other aspect of, like, fake team, fake trade building is to not operate out of your own ego of how you view yep. the world. Uh, I view basketball a certain kind of way, and I have to sort of uh, sublimate what I think to put myself in the shoes of someone else. So yeah, for you've instance, got to wet hats, right? Right. Well, you just like the Lakers operate with a set like they've gone after guys like uh, Russell Westbrook, like DeMar DeRozan, who I don't believe are good fits based on the spacing you want around LeBron Mm -hmm. and AD. I can argue like a go to score like DeMar could help and I could see how it could work. And you bring in Caruso and its short term deals and that allows greater flexibility for the future. You could argue that. Um, I could look at Zach Levine and say, like, if he were healthy, I'd, yeah, I get it. But I also think his knees are never going to be the same. I think he's probably on the downslide as far as health. And I think he's you a know, very capable scorer. But it's a, a very significant investment in a player who I think has played his best basketball. Now, does that mean they wouldn't do it? You mentioned he's with clutch. I could totally see him going that way. Uh, I think Trey of all is probably the one they would want the most because he's the one piece that could by age fit with Anthony Davis beyond LeBron. Anthony Davis just recently extended and like that would be like the archetype because he's a point guard and can create offense for himself and for others. And now he has flaws. He doesn't defend. He he can't play without the ball. He's a bad fit with LeBron uh, in my opinion anyway. Because, like, he needs the ball, and LeBron should have the ball, and and Trey is not. He's closer to an Iverson in terms of efficiency. He mm-hmm. does get you big wins in the playoffs, like Iverson did, but they're not always pretty. And when you're with LeBron and AD, you're probably trying to be efficient. It's just a different model, right? Like, you know, there's different ways to approach it. Uh, And like, but there are other teams like I approach, like the way that the Knicks approach things, the way that the Celtics approach things like the Celtics are are doing it for banners, like they're expecting to win titles and they keep knocking on the door of it. Conference finals, NBA finals. Uh, The Bucks are all about keeping Giannis happy and trying to win and like the Suns, Uh etc. But then you have teams like Charlotte who, you know, they're having ownership change. We don't know their personality. We don't know how, you know, usually an ownership group will change the front office. We don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, you know, you just go team by team. I know what Presti, I take him at his word by what he says at his at media day about painting a house and how you can't paint a room if you don't know, uh, whatever, the, I don't know, butchering whatever he said, but it was very uh, eloquently delivered. you got uh, to take it Yeah, and so like you just look at each team and how they operate and you look at Tim Connolly of the Wolves and you see how he acted as the top guy in Denver and you see how he gave out contracts. The Jaden McDaniels extension makes a lot of sense. It's consistent with how he ran things in Minnesota as far as paying or in Denver, as far as paying what he feels like just getting a deal, getting a deal done at a number that makes everybody happy. Is that the is that the way Daryl Morey does it? No, he doesn't do it that way. He does it a different way. And he's not worried about making people happy. He's worried about basically what he views to be the best mathematical format for his team to be successful and so i try in those thought processes of operating from how i think that they view the world and obviously i can't emulate that perfectly but i feel like one thing i'm if i'm good at is uh is by basically saying like yeah i don't like this move this is terrible i would never do this however i believe that that team you know, in one of our mock deadlines, I did a deal where um, the Pelicans got Grant Williams before they got CJ McCollum. Not Grant Williams. Uh, Jeremy Grant uh, before yeah. they before they got CJ McCollum. And yeah. it, to me, it's basically the same trade. It's a different trade. It's a different player, but it's like a 30-ish guy getting a large salary that you gave up a first to get. Like, that's like the same trade. You know what I mean? It's like I saw yeah. like, yeah, this is a team that's looking for a veteran to help the younger guys. Ends up they went with the guard instead of, you know, a, a, a big forward like, you know, but there there was a lot. Th- this is going back a few years. So they've had some changes sure. since. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. you know, we'll see where it lands. But I, you know, to the prompt of what do the Lakers do, I could just argue, like, simply put, like, you know, consolidate the pieces, figure out who's the best defender, who are the best defenders, best shooters, best best athletes to put around lebron and ad and and a few extra one or two extra playmakers you know like they don't have to be about they have to be able to play off the ball because lebron is probably finishing the game with the ball yep. and if you have a, a rondo at the time back when they won who can create and allow and maybe that maybe that is reeves someone who can allow lebron to stay off the ball so that you can get him the ball when he's off the ball, and then he can create when you're not loading up the defense against him so LeBron, at his age, doesn't have to go through four or five defenders. That would be ideal. And I don't think they're f- that far off from it, but I don't think that we've seen it. And I think, uh, based on history, they they're them panicking would be consistent, and making a, a, a trade that I don't agree with would be consistent. But I will say I, I really like the moves they made over the last year. Uh, you know, from the deadline on uh, or leading up to the deadline. Uh, And I think the moves they made over the summer were were defendable and reasonable. I don't know if I love every bit of it, but I thought they were uh, reasonable moves that I don't look at and say, you're panicking or you're making bad decisions. It seems like they understand now what they did in 2020 to win. And they went away from that in 2021, and it took until 2023 to get back to it.
0: Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that from a Lakers point of view, like we said, the stars don't necessarily make the most sense when you spell out that it's going to be LeBron closing games. It always will. It always has been. It's just sort of uh, it's uh, it's a constant. It may as well be a law of physics at this point. But one trade that could make sense two clutch players currently on the Portland Trailblazers, Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon, uh, could head to L.A. for D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, Gabe Vincent and Jackson Hayes. That just about works with the money. They've got swaps to play with. It does. How much money does that add? They would would be taking on $4.3 And if you want to take Hmm. off more, then you can put in Jalen Huchifino instead, who's on three point six instead of Jackson Hayes. They
1: can get back to 14 players without going to the apron.
0: Ah, see, this is why we've had you on, Eric. This is uh this is the first like level inception style thinking about the trade. I, I don't know, maybe it would have to be Jalen Hood Shafino in that case or a Torian Prince, one of their guys yeah, around that 4.5, 4.6 million level. But there are trades like that where you can bring in two high-level starters for you know your three, four decent level role players that they could potentially pursue. But the Lakers are just one team that we could potentially look at in terms of what moves they could make at the deadline. I I don't think that we're going to be in the business today of predicting the next trade that's going to happen. But I think one team that has to do something by the looks of things is the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, what they do depends very much on what they do before... Jar Morant gets back, you know, if the season is in the toilet by the time that Jar has served his 25 game suspension, then it's probably not worth replacing Stephen Adams and or Brandon Clark. But let's say they scrap and they get to a few games below 500. One trade that I quite like for them is uh, Stephen Adams and one of their 2024 firsts. You can either protect the Grizzlies first this year, or you could send out the Phoenix or Washington first to the Chicago Bulls for Nikola Vucevic. He has a few years left on his deal, but this is a guy that could tide you over on the glass, that could potentially play next to Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five, that isn't on so much money that he has to close every game. And he adds a little bit of offensive punch. Let's say the Bulls get off to a horrible start. I mean, they've not been fantastic to start the season. And it gets to that sort of December 15th time And we're starting to look at them going in a different direction. I think this is a trade that could happen. So Vucevic to the Grizzlies for Stephen Adams and a 2024 first round pick. Which one of those you choose? But uh, I I think that could be on the cards. And the reason why it's Stephen Adams, not Brandon Clarks, they're on very similar salaries. There's a chance that Brandon comes back this year. And I think that if you're trading for a Nikola Vucevic, then you're trying to win now. So... I'd rather take the risk um, keeping Brandon Clark hoping that he's back in time for the playoffs and suddenly you have a fully rounded rotation ready to compete in May, April, March even.
1: So um, Nvuch is at 20 mil next year Mm -hmm. and that's where it starts to become challenging. Um, We have a new set of parameters that we have to consider uh, beyond tax right like that was always like uh, will, would a team take on a player who has a lot of money long term if it puts them into the tax and the answer has been no for some teams like some teams just won't go into the tax the Grizzlies are not historically a team that supports a high payroll uh, they are in one of the smaller markets in the league and I'm going to just take a quick peek here Ah, uh, to see if I have any record of them going under the tax or over the tax. We're talking about just luxury tax. We're not even talking about um, anything else. So Memphis, nope, they haven't gone under the tax mm-hmm. is, dating back to the twenty eleven CBA. So we're talking, uh, yeah, like in all of existence, at least by modern modern times. I mean, there's there was. Uh, I, I've been covering the NBA since before two thousand eleven. But uh, my records only go back that far. So one issue is that they have uh, for for Bain, his salary is jumping significantly, yeah. right? Like it's jumping
0: from. I think it was four, one nine eight that he signed his extension for for yeah, five so years. it's, so it's,
1: it's going to be thirty four ish. In addition to that, they have. Um, jaw jaron jackson smart all in the 20s you have clark and and you have adams and of course you're getting out of adams in your scenario you also have canard who has a team option about 15 million who's an important part of what they're doing and they could find other ways to cut costs like zaire williams and john Conchar, and there are other ways to get out of money but i wonder like would they be in a position to take adams at about thirteen, and bump that up to twenty, and add seven million. You know, I could see their payroll getting a little heavy. the The tax projects to be uh, one seventy two next year, one seventy three, and then yep. the the first apron projects to be about one eighty ish. I'm rounding numbers. Second apron about one ninety one or something like that. Uh, and so, like in theory. I I could argue it. I would say like if they are close enough where they feel like Ja gets back and Vooch makes them like a real contender and they could work out the money later and move off of somebody later, even if that meant having to get out of Canard's 14, whatever, fifteen million whatever it is, I could see. So I I think you have to at least consider uh, the, the long term ramifications of adding that salary which isn't that much more than Adams, but it's also another year on top of that too. Yeah, that's true. Right. Uh, so he's 21 and a half ish beyond that. Uh, and at that point, some of their money comes off. Adams is gone. So Clark still, he's flat twelve five. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can argue it. Um, the, you know, the main concern is for me, the financial commitment that they would be making. Would they be willing to do that? And then you're obviously giving up picks, which the Grizzlies, you know, have been hesitant to do, but they certainly could. Um, mm-hmm. They and then on top of that, um, does Vooch fit with Jaron Jackson Jr.? Like, is J Triple J like a modern day center? And are they fine with just having like Tillman? And they just yeah. signed Biombo recently. Like, maybe. They just need somebody to start so that Jaron can play power forward for the starting lineup and then really close games at center, really Mm -hmm. play the heart of the game at center. But I've seen that before. A lot of teams were even with uh, gosh, I mean, go back far enough, like uh, the first year that Shaq and Kobe won, they had A.C. Green, who was like very much at the end of his career and he started and they had Robert Ory come off the bench. And Ori was really their their guy. But sometimes a team will structure their their rotation as such that, that they're really favoring the end of halves instead of focusing on the start, which to me is like nonsense. Like people just obsess over who starts a game when I'm like... Who closes. Uh, like it's really who closes that matters. Like who who are the five that you need on the floor to win a game? And uh-huh. so how do you run a 48-minute rotation so that you can make sure that you ha- get the most out of those players so that when the time comes, you have those guys on the floor, fresh, rested, ready to close out the game. And that might mean having a Lamar Odom off the bench or uh, a Robert Ory, or in this case, starting a, a Biombo or a Tillman. To, so I don't know their concepts uh, and their core beliefs to make that big of an investment is I would need Intel before I would put that into a fake trade. Like I would need to yeah. like reach out and get a sense. And if the, if I can't get that from the Grizzlies directly on what they, how they view their I, they would talk about potentially how they view themselves as far as like right. how they view the rotation. They, they, they're not going to talk about, Oh, we're going to go get someone else. Right. They're not going to talk to me about other guys and you know, maybe whatever, but like, you know, a team might talk about like, Hey, what, what do you guys You know, do you like Jaron closing out games at center? Do you feel like maybe you're short of center or whatever like that? You might be able to get out of that, but you're not going to get like, oh, we're going to be open to trading for Vooch. Um, And then on the on the Bulls side, like. We're all trading the bulls players, but they've been so conservative and they've historically always held on to what they have too long. That just seems to be what they do. They just like they should have traded out two, three years ago. And they just sit and sit and sit and then it's too late and they make them, you know, like I, I did think they were relatively proactive a few years ago, but it hasn't really panned out. And I think a big part of that was the Lonzo injury, Lonzo ball injury, but yep. still haven't been able to pivot mostly because they went all in on something before they should have.
0: Yeah, I think there's that cost sunk fall- uh, fallacy with the Bulls yeah. as well, where it's well, we gave up those two first for Vooch. we we probably have to make this work. I think that move only happens as part of a wider sell off. the The issue that I ran into when trying to find help for uh, the Memphis front court is a lot of the players at, at cheaper rates. So say Mitchell Robinson, Wendell Carter Jr., Nas Reed. I think they're on teams that have expectations for this year, so I think it's just less realistic to get. Guy out of that situation, certainly earlier, you know, before the trade deadline, there's always a chance that you know one of those teams falls off, or perhaps even New York pursues a star towards the deadline. And Mitchell Robinson is a guy that can be had, sort of similar to how the Cleveland Cavaliers picked up Jarrett Allen in that James Harden trade a couple of years ago. So I, I think that that was a little bit of an issue. Possibly a cheaper, you know, I don't want to say bargain bucket option because this is a uh, impact player. Uh, I I think that maybe Paul Reed might become available at the deadline and he's available at $7 million a year. He's a much cheaper alternative. And if we are to believe sort of some of the intel that's being spouted around at the moment that the Sixers might pursue this cap space route, Paul Reed is a player that they might want off their books by the time the off-season rolls around.
1: Yeah, and I, I think Reed is a... If you factor in the finances of the Grizzlies, I think that is a much more reasonable get like he fits their age mm-hmm. he fits yep. what the way they play um and financially there's a flexibility there and you know the Sixers might want to get out of Reed but they may wait until like the draft to do so there's no rush to do it now and if he helps them this year like they can get out the harder part was getting out of PJ Tucker and they've <laughs> achieved that because PJ's like at the end of his career I mean maybe he has, one, two, three, four, five years, I don't know how many years he has left, but he's certainly for most teams not like a priority based on age alone, whereas Reed is young. And so like there, there's I'm more comfortable with that based on the finances of who the Grizzlies are. Again, it's putting myself not just in like, how do you get them the best piece? How do you get them the best piece that they might realistically be willing to pay for based on their finances and their history. So Reed makes more sense. I don't know where the Sixers are on that. And just because they're probably selling out, uh, selling off whatever they can to have cap space. We also don't know, like do the Sixers instead, are they using that cap space as leverage to get a deal done now? You know, like we're going to get your guy in free agency. So just trade him to us now so you don't lose him for nothing. And that's the kind of stuff that does happen. And that's kind of probably the kind of stuff that Daryl Morey would probably Try to do. I don't know, uh, but in theory, I could see him trying to do something, you know, in that in that vein. So we'll we'll have to wait and see on on the the Grizzlies. They've they've started rather poorly. We'll see yeah. if that if that's. I knew that they would struggle because you know losing Jaw, but not just Jaw. Like Dylan Brooks and like I know Dylan didn't have a great playoff against the Lakers, but um, he did a lot for them throughout that year, and yep. they made another. You know, Marcus Smart is a really good addition. Uh, I think long-term, but I mean, there's adjustments and Tyus Jones was super low, um, low problematic, like just true point guard wants to get everybody involved. One of the best backup point guards in the league, Uh, certainly offensively anyway.
0: Yeah. I think Tyus Jones for the last couple of years has sort of done what Chris Paul is doing for the Warriors this season in terms of come in, manage that second unit and don't commit any turnovers consistently. One of those guys that was top of the league in terms of assist to turnover ratio. And like you've said, they have missed his presence. They've missed Brooks and obviously Jar Morant to start the season, just not necessarily enough shot creation on that team. Uh, And they've adjusted. They've, They've, they've obviously brought in Bismat biombo I'm sure that they'll see that out for at least a, a stretch of games before they make another move. So I think that that covers off Memphis. And you've spoken about Daryl Morey a little bit there, Eric. I think that the 76ers, as they are most trade deadlines, are one of, if not the most interesting team in the league to, to sort of evaluate and, and play fake GM for. So what do you see the seventy-six is doing? There's there's one name that I want to run past you for a specific reason, but I, I would rather hear what it is that you think either they're doing or what you might do in their shoes coming up to the trade deadline.
1: Well, uh if you know, Daryl is to be believed Daryl Morey because he has stated as such on like radio. Programs and whatnot, where he's, you know, mm-hmm. talked about their flexibility. That it's very rare to have a team that is a contender that also has the cap flexibility to go shopping the next summer. Uh, so I wonder, um, obviously the hardened trade stuck to that and they got out of PJ. And so now you look at their books and it's like Joel Embiid and then, uh, Tyrese Maxey will have a cap hold of roughly 13 million, which is basically the cost for his rights. For those who don't know how that works, Uh, he's a free agent. He will take up cap space. But let's say he signs for, I'll just throw out a number. Let's say he signs for 33 and his cap hold is 13. If he signs after they use their cap space, that's legal. So they are gaining like an extra 20 20 million million. in theory. Uh, and you can argue that maybe they want to keep DeAnthony Melton, whose cap hold is about 15. So it does become a mathematical game of like, you know, who are they going after? Who do they want to keep? And and you have to factor and in read into that. Do they keep his 7 7.7? And then the cost to have no one is about 1.1 million dollars for every player under 13. So you. You basically look at it as like you have 12 players and your 13th is the one that you're signing. And you have all the cap room and you sign your 13th. And now they slot in it those roster charges, that 1.1 million roughly for next year. And then you now sign your next 13th player because you have to go to... Technically, you have to go to 14 players to have a team, but you have to... The older way was 13. And so the, the rules still stand by 13. So uh, looking at them like... They have some aggregation issues that will expire uh, in January. So, if we say trade seasons and past that or by the deadline, they can take like some of the pieces that the Clippers brought in, that they brought in from the Clippers and aggregate them, combine them to bring in others in salary. And if you take like Morris at 17 and Batum at 11 or 12 and Covington at 11 or 12. You can include Reed at seven. You can include Corkmaz at five. You start adding up all the pieces. Danny House, all of these elements. Mo Bamba, if if he's not part Pat you could they could trade almost the whole dang team. Jaden
0: Springer? Yeah.
1: Yes. And then that they the only other player they have who's on a multi year is Jaden Springer, who's four million. And if they don't value him, either they value him and he's cheap enough that they keep him at four million, or they want to clear the books. Uh, they would get another three-ish million in cap room if he wasn't there. So I don't know the direction they're going to go. I think their goal right now is to win this year if they can. And I think they have with Tyrese, with um, obviously Embiid, and then some of their role players that they have a really good team. It's just I don't know how good, and I don't think they know how good yet. And then as you get to the deadline, the decision will be, one, can they add in the piece that they would go shopping for at the deadline? Where it's better to do it now because now you have that piece now to try to win now instead of waiting a year. Or in the absence of that, and you still have to go after that piece in the summer, do you then try to find a better expiring combination of players now? So who, who is the name that you have in mind?
0: So, I I want to have my cake and eat it. So I I think that ideally Daryl Morey would probably like to bring in two high level starters if he possibly could, but the issue with that is I don't know if they have the draft capital to do both in trades. So I looked around the league and I looked at, you know, potentially the most undervalued contracts, multi-year deal that could take up a bit of your cap space going into free agency. And uh I I wonder what you think of potentially pursuing Lowry Markkinen at the deadline. You uh, could do a straight salary trade for Marcus Morris Jr. And they could trade three unprotected first-round picks. So they could move uh, the Clippers 28 first that they brought in. They could move their 20-30 first. No, I think they traded that. Essentially, they can get to three picks or swaps if they wanted to. Sure. Now, whether Danny Ainge is going to agree to that, I certainly don't know. I, I think that you know we've seen in the past, Danny likes to win a trade and, and moving off your potential sort of all-star guy is is a hard sell to a franchise but what I like about Lowry is I think he's contracted for around 18 million dollars next year so what happens is you bring him in and he doesn't totally close off the door to bringing in a second high level starter because I think the names that they've been linked to are hitting free agency so let's say you can just about maybe you move on from DeAnthony Melton or you renounce his uh, cap hold's Obviously, let go of Tobias Harris, all the players that you've listed off, Eric. Maybe there's a situation where you can keep Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Jaden Springer, Lowry Markinen, and just about scrape together the money for a guy like an OG Ananobi.
1: Sure. I mean, what I think the Jazz are going to do is use their cap space to renegotiate Lowry Markinen and, and pay him. And I think that, um, draft picks are a crapshoot and so you need a bunch of them so that you luck into the right one the right Mm -hmm. player at the right time because you could have the number one pick in a bad year uh or you could have the number one pick and the player just doesn't work out for you i mean um the jazz know this pretty well and it's like they have a star player he's still relatively young uh he's happy from what i can tell he's happy there he's happy being the face of the jazz and so, three firsts to me, I'm not going to get as good of a player as Marketing for those firsts unless I then trade those firsts to get another player. And the kind of player they'd probably want to trade those three firsts for are probably Lowry Marketing. You know what I'm saying? Like the Jazz would trade, yeah. you know, three firsts to go, yeah, give us three firsts so we can go get a player like Marketing. And that they're in a situation where they can probably pay him enough that it's worth him staying long-term without ever getting to free agency. Even He's basically their Sabonis. Sabonis just did that yeah. with Sacramento. And I really think that is why that doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound reasonable on the jazz side. I just don't think they have any interest in that. Um, and that's the challenge. It's like in, I can come up with fake stuff all the time. All it takes is someone to say, nah, I don't like that with the team so i do my best to try to vet that to at least um work within my understanding be it intel or uh intel from other teams intel from the team uh or sometimes it's just speculate i'm usually pretty clear when i am speculating i pretty much say you know we're we're having fun here let's try to fix it for the teams versus like there are times i'm reporting on things that are actual reporting this is like I hear there that this is you know I uh, usually I come out of the showcase and I have a bunch of articles that are like buzz out of the showcase and it's usually two three articles that sort of map out what I hear is going into the trade the actual trade market what is actually being discussed and I have a pretty reasonably uh, solid uh, track record of of uh, whatever accuracy you know with I'm not saying this will happen but you know like I had cj to the pelicans before it happened and things like that so um but yeah no that one feels like it pushes it did you have a second one besides lowry
0: so i think i think all the other ones have sort of been spoken about to a degree so they could definitely go and chase og at the deadline sort of lock him up before he hits free agency obviously you have to have an understanding that he's willing to extend in philadelphia once he hits free agency definitely opting out of that player option for 24 25 I don't quite like the fit of Pascal as much, kind of for the reason that we spoke about with DeMar DeRozan, where I don't know if you can trust his outside shot. You, you're going to be going with you know, Pascal and Tobias Harris going into the postseason. There's there's some appeal to me in, in Zach Levine in Philadelphia, just because he's got that utility as an on-ball creator that can score at all three levels, but also... I think with where Embiid has been located this year, sort of playing up, not necessarily posting up nearly as much, almost playing at the elbows, playing from the free throw line. I think there's more room to utilise Zach Levine as an off-ball player, have him cut towards the rim. And I think that you know Nick Nurse has been trying to institute that. So he could be a fun third complement to you know, your Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid tandem, because then you've got two guys on the perimeter that can play off ball that can shoot the lights out maybe it's too uh maybe it's too difficult to pass defensively but Embiid has looked like a monster at the rim this year so they're they're the three names but I just thought in terms of that a plus outcome like you said uh the the draft capital probably isn't enough you're you're gonna have to try and throw in other stuff open it up to to other teams I just thought that you know if if there was a chance that that could happen, then that's what probably gets Philadelphia closest to a championship ceiling.
1: Right. You know, knowing Morey, like he's going to want uh, everything. And so, like, why trade those pieces now when you can just have those pieces and then sign the yep. players a free agent? So, like, why trade the Clippers pieces and the picks But then another side of me says, like, would Daryl really want to let a bunch of expirings expire without flipping them into something? So, you know, there's different ways of looking how he might want to do something. I think he'll look closely at what's available. Again, I worry about Zach's health and his contract. Uh, I worry about um, some of that, some of those issues. I mean, I just I don't know what the Sixers are willing to do yet. And I think we need to feel that. out. I don't think they know yet either i don't think they're not to me they're not you know again there's aggregation things they have to wait till january anyway just like with the lakers i wrote about have to wait till december 15th all this stuff is probably going to wait we had the hardened trade because it just it had to happen and that was sort of a more complex complex issue uh but i don't know if we have anything that's so pressing that has to get done in the next month and it's just not like historically there's usually a pretty dull stretch where there's just not a lot of activity activity until we get into january in in sometimes not even then. like there's usually like three four or five smaller deals in january two three uh but sometimes we have none and uh there's usually like one or two in december and sometimes there's none and then there's usually like the week of february the first week of february before the deadline there's usually one or two or three trades before the deadline and then on the day of the deadline there's a whole lot of them and that's that's a whole different thing but i just think that like the patterns hold but i don't know the impact of the new cba which has loosened the trade rules and made it easier to make trades just based on salary matching alone it has made it harder for teams like uh, in the in the high payroll range like the clippers and the warriors and the bucks and the you know down the list suns it's harder for them and it will get increasingly harder For them, as far as the rules, if they're at those high levels, Uh, but the teams that are not at those high levels, trade matching has loosened and they've made it so that you can argue that free agency will be less of a factor and that trades are trades and extensions will be how the NBA is run and that we won't see as many players in free agency. But that doesn't necessarily impact the Sixers yet because we're still adapting to the new CBA. Uh, but I wonder how it will. And I wonder if the loosened trade market will, or how teams perceive this summer will impact. And maybe Daryl doesn't love the free agent crop and can get a better player by giving up those picks. I could see a world where he considers that, but I could also see a world where he holds tight to everything until this summer and tries to get a player in free agency and then use those picks later to fill in what, whatever they need to, to round out a championship roster, at least what he perceives to be that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the only other piece to potentially mention is that sort of Giannis factor that we saw in Milwaukee over the summer, where if Joel sort of knocks on Daryl's door and says, by the way, I'm not happy with us sort of throwing away Mm -hmm. the season. Not, not in a sense that they won't be competitive. They look very good to start the year, but if he knocks on the door and says, we've got these picks, go and get me a third guy maybe that's when push comes to shove but sure. that's that's definitely just speculation. Uh Eric. I do think
1: there's I, I, I'll just I'll just say that I you know I just think the the not having Harden there because not not to pick on Harden but just being past yep. that drama and the energy of a new coach I think that the Sixers have a little time. I just think they have a little time. I don't think Embiid is making that knock on the door by this deadline. I just don't I think it's definitely a real factor, and definitely something to keep an eye on. I just think they have a slight grace for the next few months where it's not going to happen. I think they'll play well enough. They'll be top three or four in the in the East through to the deadline. And then it's just a question of, can we get one more piece to push us over the top? Or is that long-term piece available now instead of waiting that we can get right now? And then then we'll see. So I think that pressure, though, that you mentioned is there. I just think it's not... Is overbearing this deadline? I think it could be though soon after.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've I've got to ask because I'm sure that James Harden has provided you a ton of content over the years. Do you think that's finished? Have we seen the last James Harden trade request of his career?
1: <laughs> I mean, history would say no. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't want <laughs> to make that bet. Um, <laughs> in theory, he is with the Clippers. In theory, the Clippers need him back and are opening a new building in inglewood california which is near it's part of la kind of it's i think it's within la but it's its own city and you need star power you need a headliner whether or not this is a winning combination i don't know the answer to that we could debate that that's another show but we can certainly argue that like james is going to get paid enough by steve Ballmer to stay in la and then that's going to be at least good for a couple of years before maybe it's not good. And then where will James be in his career with his contract? And will he be in a position to try to push for another trade? I mean, I can justify the first trade from Houston to Brooklyn because ownership changed in Houston. He, they had a, an understanding of where the team was going and then they completely changed directions based on an ownership change. And then he went to Brooklyn. I could certainly justify that. Right. Like, yeah, he, you know, Kyrie was, Her, well, no, Kyrie was doing whatever Kyrie was doing. KD was hurt. Kyrie was sort of doing Kyrie stuff. And James was like, this is not what I signed up for. I need to go. By the time you get to that third one, though, it really strains credibility to say, like, it's not on him. At this point, you're like, all right, maybe it's not circumstance. Maybe it's James. And so I'm not going to put it past him to one day demand out from the Clippers. But for now, I think they're going to have a happy marriage. I don't know how well they'll do, but that's that's
0: what the games are played for. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Just before we get out of here, Eric, quick fire. Are there any teams that you think the loyal but small listenership of the Drop Step podcast should be keeping an eye out for at the trade deadline? Um, like you said, a lot of this stuff happens at the G League showcase, but what's your gut instinct in terms of teams that you could potentially see making moves? Well, I'm, I mean,
1: it's across the board. I mean, the... I think the NBA will have an increase in trades, not a decrease. So sure. you should be having fun. Uh, as far as like, you always look at teams and I haven't done the the tallies yet. I haven't done my projections. The teams that are just above the tax, like New Orleans probably looks to move Kira Lewis to get out from the tax. So they're, they're, that's not an exciting concept, but it's, sure. you know, I look for teams that are just above that can save. Cause it's not just the money you save in tax. You get a kickback. Uh, of of the tax the kickback last year was in the 15 to 15 to 16 range 17 range i forget the exact number off the top of my head um i you know i i brooklyn has a lot of forwards they're interesting to watch i have no idea what charlotte's going to do uh chicago everyone looks at them every year and assumes they're going to sell out all their pieces they haven't done that yet uh will they won't they i don't i don't know um detroit is always seemingly active Houston tends to be active. Indiana has some flexibility in terms of where their payroll is, but they don't really need players. I could see the moving buddy. Uh, The Clippers hard to read. Uh, They don't have a lot of flexibility. Lakers I touched on already. So, you know, build off of that. You already touched on the Grizzlies. Uh, Miami. I don't know. I mean, they've, they're a hard organization to read because they tend to be both conservative, but then they also take big, they make big moves, but they're very patient uh, until those moves happen. Uh, I don't know how much flexibility Milwaukee has. I don't know if there's a market for who they have to offer. Like Conaton is the biggest yeah. salary. I don't know how much you get back for them. They don't really have much draft comp to offer. Minnesota, uh, you know, there's some, they're playing well. They're starting off really well. If they have a great season, they have a great season. But if it goes really poorly, would they look to move Cat? Uh New York is definitely a team to keep an eye on. seems like Julius Randle is an all-star one year and uh, a very inefficient, pouty player the next year. I like Julius. I go way back with him, uh, and I'm really happy for success. So uh, I don't mean that as a negative, but he seems to be every other year very, very good and then not as nearly as good. OKC is always sort of the clearinghouse to make a multi-team trade go through. Orlando has a lot of flexibility in terms of contracts, in terms of uh, cap flexibility as well, slightly under the cap. Philly, we talked about. Phoenix has you know minimal amount that they can do based on the restrictions. Always worth keeping an eye on Portland. I think Brogdon is a potential stopgap for the Lakers. Is like If they really don't want to stick with D'Angelo and feel like they need a point guard, Brogdon would be a stopgap. I don't know if yep. they'd take the investment in Grant, though. I just think that the Lakers are going to operate like there's a hard cap. I just that I think that's just how they're going to operate. I don't think they're going to be a team that goes into those upper aprons. Uh, certainly, the second apron will be their hard cap, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. Sacramento has been very conservative with what they have. It's been working. Let's see if that continues to work. As long as they're good, I know that Fox has been hurt. They've Sorry? got that
0: outland pick to the Hawks as well this year in the 2024 they draft. A lot of draft, so it's draft. Like they can go. All in, all in. So yeah, definitely well, one I, that I, one I that don't think they. One,
1: I think yeah. they are happy with who they are, and and last mm-hmm. deadline, we're happy with who they are, and made very small changes over the summer. Uh, San Antonio, it seems like prefers continuity around Weminyama to give him a, a positive place to develop. Maybe they can move a Devonte Graham and some other pieces. Uh, another team that teams will other teams will be looking at uh, closely is Toronto. Chicago and Toronto were the two teams that everyone looked at at the deadline last year, assuming that they would blow it up, and yep. neither did. I think Toronto is that much closer to their guys expiring, so they're very much uh, going to be a team to keep an eye on. Utah has flexibility; uh, could move out of Linux and Horton Tucker if they can get a piece that they like, but I do think they want to protect their cap room to pay. Marketing uh, next summer, so whatever they do, I think has to fit within that. And then the Wizards are a wild card in that uh, they are have a new front office, and it seems like they are willing to restructure further. Um, we'll see what ha- what that means for Kuzma and Pool and Gafford and all those kind of players there. Uh, but that's kind of just a very early take on it, and it's too early because the teams haven't made these decisions yet. Right? There's nothing. There's nothing to report. There's, we could talk about the trends of where they might be going. And we've yep. talk about what happened at the last deadline. We can talk about what happened this summer and what might happen in this summer to sort of project where teams are headed. But we need to know, like, are, do you finish 15, do you finish the first 20 games at five and 15, 15 and five or 10 and 10, or some, something within those bounds. And that kind of yep. gives you a sense of like, if you're 15 and five, you're thinking we're going for it. What's the piece that can really put us over the top? If you're five mm-hmm. and fifteen, and you expect it to be a playoff team, now you're at best a playing team. I mean, yes, things change. Like the Lakers were two and ten, and they made it to the conference finals. Most most teams, that's not the case. Most times, after twenty games, you pretty much know who you are and where you're going to end up. And unless you're in that, you know, that bubbly kind of middle range, and then you're like, well, we're kind of good, and we're kind of bad, and like maybe if we get healthy, we could join the top. Maybe if we don't play well we'll we'll miss you know so then you start to have teams pivot to prioritizing the lottery and things like that. We don't have a Weminyama in this draft so we may not get as much of a focus on the draft but uh let's you know wait and see it's 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 certainly too early to to make any prognostications with any sort of accuracy.
0: Absolutely college season starts soon. I'm sure teams will be talking themselves into 2024 prospects in no time. Eric, thank you so much for your time today man could you pitch the low listeners what you've got going on in the next few weeks? Sure. I'm sure a few of them would be interested to hear what's going on yeah. at SBC. Uh,
1: well, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, going to go with the, on holiday with the family around Thanksgiving. I know that, um, that's yes. been scheduled. Uh, as far as like work stuff, uh, we are, we have released a course uh, with Bobby Marks, uh, at Sports Business Classroom, it's an online course that talks about the changes—a video course on the changes of the new CBA. So we still have our uh, original course, which uh, is Larry Kuhn talking about the 2017 CBA, which is still very helpful. I think you can get them in a bundle, uh, and and together they sort of encompass everything. Uh, whereas uh, whereas uh, Bobby's is just the changes. So you're not going to get like an overall encompassing view of how the system works, but you're going to get what changed from 2017 to 23. Extremely valuable if that's what you're looking for. Really tremendous content. It's light and breezy. It, he, he doesn't dwell too much on the topics. He just sort of knocks it out. A lot of content. Uh, really helpful stuff. Uh, as far as what we have planned, we're going to be putting out content on the site. Uh, just to, you know, get our former students involved. Certainly as college season gets going and they'll be scouting uh, for us. I mean, we're still working out our plans. Uh, We have some exciting content coming up, nothing announced, uh, but I'll be, and of course I'll be writing with Bleacher Report uh, covering Lakers, covering National, covering Clippers. Locally I go to those games. Uh, My coverage has become more national. uh, So I, Uh, But I tend to write a lot of Lakers just because that's what the uh, that's my home market and that's what the audience tends to demand. So if you're interested in that, check out uh, I'm at Eric Pincus, E-R-I-C-P-I-N-C-U-S on Twitter, uh, which is where I publish all my articles. I publish them other places as well. That's usually where people go. I guess it's called X now or whatever, but I'm going to still call it Twitter. I'm still going to call it Staples Center. Let's just deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. i appreciate change but it's hard hard enough uh that said um but you know you can also find me on this podcast the drop
0: steps so thanks for having me on i definitely appreciate it great thank you so much for coming on eric if you are looking for any of the links that eric has just mentioned you will find them in the description for this podcast you will see a link to the sbc website you will see a link to Eric's uh, Twitter page. We're not calling it X, like he said. Good call. You will see a link to his most recent Bleacher Report article, that Lakers one that we referred to. So if you want to see a breakdown of how Kyrie could potentially end up in LA, how Zach, Damar, Trey Young, Trey Young is one that we've sort of lightly touched on in this podcast, but I think he's definitely the most interesting name of those four. Check out the description. Eric is the best. Sports Business Classroom is a fantastic resource for anyone to really look to further their knowledge of the game and, and really look to sort of break into the industry. I think they're doing something really unique out there. So it's definitely worth following them on all the socials and considering what you can do with them because it's, it's just absolutely great stuff. Eric, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, and loyal listeners, thank you for listening. One hour, 16 minutes in. It's flown by. We will be back next week with another episode. I believe that we are interviewing Mike Prader about Spaced Out. A year on from its release. So that should be fun. Tune in again next time. Thanks so much.